Well, as I prepare to uh, start the message this morning, let me just go to the Lord in, in just a short prayer. Father, we're thankful for your words that come to us from Scripture. God, I just pray grateful for the work of the Holy Spirit in and through uh, your words, but also the message this morning. And God, I pray that the meditations of my heart and the meditations of my mouth would be acceptable to you today and that you would be at work through all of this. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, a young man uh, went to his girlfriend's house. He arrived early to pick her up for their dates. She rushed to the door. Her hair was still wet. She didn't have any makeup on her face yet. And she was a little bit embarrassed, but she tried to make the best out of the situation. She she grinned and she said, well, what do you think? And he wisely responded, smiling, saying, well, it looks like something beautiful is about to happen. Pretty good response. That guy's pretty smart for such a young man. Well, a few years later, this couple actually got married, and uh, one day the husband was coming home from work, and he got home, and he he got in the house, and he looked at his wife, and she was sitting there, and her hair was all done up in these big pink curlers. And he looked at her, and he asked, he said, what happened to your hair? And she replied, well, I said it, to which he replied, well, when does it go off? (laughs) Not so wise, okay? Okay. So both situations kind of humorous. Only one of them was kind. And words are a powerful tool. Uh, The words that we say, the words that we speak can be very powerful at times. Uh, They can devastate or they can delight. They can build people up or they can tear them down. Uh, They can tear or they can energize people or they can wipe them out at times. So we're in the midst of a sermon series in the book of Proverbs. And Proverbs is literally scripture that God inspired Solomon to write. It's words of wisdom. It's a guidebook of of wisdom. And these words uh, do not tell us how to make a living, but how to be skillful in the lost art of making a life. And there's a big difference between those two things. And so God wants us to grow in wisdom as we grow in his word. And it basically means that we are able to make wise decisions in every circumstance because wisdom comes as a gift from God. And our main emphasis last week when Doug preached was about taking advice and learning to develop the characteristic of being teachable. And what an awesome uh, characteristic to go through life and what a wise way to live life. And as we view God properly and when we really are in awe of him, uh, Psalm 34 verses 11 and 13 tell us that we, when we're amazed by God, then we are going to watch the words that we use or the words that we speak. This is what it says. It says, Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking lies. So as we continue in our study of Proverbs, we discover that in this book there's actually a lot of words about the words that we use. In fact, if you look at Proverbs, there's 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs, and there's over 150 references to our lips, our mouth, our tongue, the words that we use. And so uh, wisdom about our words is really important to Solomon and to God. And Genesis 1 reminds us just the power of words. In fact, Genesis 1 reminds us that when God spoke, literally, all that we see, this whole creation, this earth, this universe, when God spoke, it came into being. In fact, uh, the New Testament tells us that Jesus was referred to as the Word of God in John chapter 1, verse 1. Proverbs 18, 12, Solomon says, The tongue has the power of life and death, 
And those who love it will eat its fruit. Our words either launch life or they deliver death. Everything that you and I have said this week has either assassinated someone or breathed life into people around you. Our words are powerful. So I want to invite you to look at a certain section of Proverbs with me. Proverbs chapter 10, beginning in verse 18 to 21. You can look in your Bible. You can look on your smartphone and your scriptures. You can look on the screen behind me. Again, Proverbs 10, 18 through 21, where I think Solomon gives us wisdom about the words that we choose. This is what God's word says. Whoever conceals hatred with lying lips and spreads slander is a fool. Sin is not ended by multiplying words, but the prudent hold their tongues. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver, but the heart of the wicked is of little value. The lips of the righteous nourish many, but fools die for lack of sense. So as Christians who follow Jesus and are filled with the Holy Spirit, what comes out of our mouth should reflect our faith. And yet, unfortunately, that's not always the truth, is it? Our mouths tend to run and get us in trouble at times. And Jesus told us the real problem isn't with our mouth, but with our heart. He says in, in Scripture, in, in Matthew, says uh, that literally out of the overflow of the heart, uh, the mouth speaks. And so if we're having problems with controlling our mouth, it's because something's wrong in our heart. We have a heart problem. Solomon also said in Proverbs 18, verse 12, The words of the reckless pierce like swords. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. So today we're going to look at how can we learn to tame our tongues so that we can use it the way that God intended it to be used, to, to bring healing, to bring encouragement, to help others. So Solomon gives us lots of practical advice on taming our tongue in the Proverbs. In fact, you might find his wisdom to be oversimplistic, but yet it may be simple, but so often it's hard for us to follow through on those words of wisdom and words of advice. So as we think about, we look at the Proverbs, there's a number of things we can learn about our words and about taming our tongue. The first is to hold our words. Now, holding our words can be really challenging for some of you because some of you have the gift of gab. You like to talk. You don't like silence. And so you fill silence with words. I know somebody like that. Uh, my mom likes to talk a lot. And uh, every once in a while we... Have fun with her about that. In fact, I was on the phone with her last night, and we were having a conversation. We call, we talk about once a week. My mom eventually got around to asking me a question. She asked me every time we talk, when are you preaching next? And I said, tomorrow morning, in fact. And she's like, oh, great, because I, I want to go listen to your message. I said, okay. She said, what are you preaching on? I said, taming the tongue. And there was a moment of silence. And then my mom said, I need to go listen to that message, don't I? And I didn't say Anything. I thought about saying lots of things, but I thought, I, I'm going to learn from what I'm going to preach about tomorrow. I'm going to hold my tongue. And so I didn't say anything. And so now my mom's going to hear me say all this. And so, Mom, I love you. And uh, I love you even though you have the gift of gab, and most of the time it's awesome. And so, uh, anyway, we had fun with that last night. But some of us, holding our words can be really challenging. But there's words of wisdom there when we're willing to do that. How many times... Have we opened our mouth, and right away we put our foot in it? We make some mistakes, right? Our chances of blowing it with our words are directly related to how much time we spend with our mouth open. And so Solomon, through God's word, is saying, you know, there are times you need to close your mouth and not say anything. The Quakers have a saying 
that's filled with a lot of truth. It's never break the silence unless you can improve upon it. Abraham Lincoln was fond of saying, it's better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. We could learn from that, couldn't we? Well, those, who got, those groups, are, they have wisdom, but God's wisdom is even better. And this is what God's Word tells us. In Proverbs 10, verse 19, it says, When words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. And in Proverbs 21, 23, God's Word says, He who guards his mouth and his tongue keeps himself from calamity. So if we seek to be wise, we must learn to hold our tongue more often, or as we might say today, bite it, bite our tongue. In other words, don't just blurt out the first thing that comes to your mind, uh, because it's probably not going to be a word of healing or a word of encouragement. It's probably going to be sarcastic, if funny, it's still going to be potentially hurting, or could be cutting, or we speak so often quickly in anger, and we really make mistakes when we do that. The quicker we respond to someone, the greater the danger of using reckless words and saying something harmful which will hurt the other person in our relationship with them. If we hold our tongue, it will give us time to do the second piece of wisdom for taming our tongues, which is think before you speak. Think before you speak. Proverbs 15:28. God's Word says, The heart of the righteous weighs its answers, but the mouth of the wicked gushes evil. Rarely do we speak quickly. Do the spoken words have any thought behind them? If we just think uh, about our words before we open our mouth, we would probably get in a lot less trouble, wouldn't we? This is such a simple principle, but it's practiced so seldom. Yet Solomon tells us that wise people consistently think about what they're going to say before they say it. They measure their words carefully. Because once the words are out of our mouth, we can't capture them any longer. We can't put them back in. They've already done their damage. So if we hold our tongue and if we think for a second, we can ask ourselves, is this really what I should say? Is this really going to help the other person? Is this really going to be a gift of encouragement? Is it going to be given in love and consideration of the other person or is it going to hurt them? How can I say it in a better way? If I can't think of a better way to say it, we can always follow the modern day uh, proverb that our parents taught us. If you can't say anything nice, Okay, that was my test to see how many of you were listening. So we're going to try that again. Modern day proverb from our parents. If you can't say anything nice. Yeah, so great words of advice. But, you know, much of that wisdom, again, comes from God's scripture. So bite your tongue. Keep your mouth shut until you think of a better response, which reflects our, our God's commandment, the God-given commandment to speak in love to everyone the way that they would want us to speak to them, the way that we would want them to speak to us. So, again, just a reminder, we're to hold our tongue, to think before we speak. And the third piece of wisdom is to learn to listen before speaking. Now, Proverbs 18:13 says, He who answers before listening, that is his folly and his shame. How often are we more interested in what we have to say and we're not paying attention to the other person? We're not listening. And so when they're done talking, we're ready to run in that conversation with whatever we want to talk about. And so we're just, we just rush in and, and we're not showing how much we know. Uh, we're showing how much we know to the other person. And th- that gets me in trouble every once in a while. I've been in trouble so often. 
because I didn't listen to what the person was saying and I responded not out of a place of listening, but with an important, just a feeling important uh, to talk about, whatever I wanted to talk about. And just to throw myself under the bus, I can remember when I was in the third grade, Mrs. Miller in the third grade classroom, she had us read the weekly reader. Did you guys, how many of you had that thing called the weekly reader? I don't know if they still do that or not, but it was basically a little magazine for kids in elementary school, had interesting articles, some news that, they, that you know, the kids would find interesting. It was basically a way to teach kids how to read and how to, to develop learning or reading comprehension because our teacher would always ask us questions about the articles. And so this one day, Mrs. Miller told us to read the weekly reader, the main article, and she said, you know, and if you get done early, it's a time you can rest or you can do something individually. And I was always really a pretty good reader in elementary school. And I usually got done before everybody else. And that day, I got done pretty early, and most of everybody else was still reading. And so I thought, I'm going to rest for a little bit, because we just got out of recess, my favorite subject in school. And, uh, and I had played pretty hard. You know, I was pretty competitive, and I always wanted to win every kickball game or every basketball game. And so I was a little tuckered. So I just decided to rest for a little bit. And the next thing I remember... I must have been napping because I remember Mrs. Miller was asking me a question in front of the whole class. And I didn't hear what she said, but I didn't want to admit that I'd been napping. And so I know, you know, that she always asked the first question after we read the weekly reader was, what was the main article about? So I was assuming she was asking, what was the article about? Which was about the San Diego Zoo. So I said, yes, the San Diego Zoo. And as soon as I said that, the whole class burst out laughing. I mean, they were dying in laughter. And I didn't know what they were laughing about. In fact, kids were crying and falling on the floor. They were laughing so hard. <laughs> Mrs. Miller couldn't control herself. I was embarrassed. And finally, she got control of herself. She said, Wes, I don't think you heard my question the first time I asked it. So I'm going to ask it again. She said, because your friend, Larry, is homesick from school, his mom called and asked if you could take his homework home to him. Do you know where Larry lives? Yep. I said my best friend lives in the San Diego Zoo. And I felt, I was so embarrassed. I mean, I was so embarrassed. And, and I, poor Larry, when he came back to school, I mean, that guy got the worst of it because everybody just wanted to know where he lived in the zoo. But, you know, I wish that every time I didn't listen, that it was just something funny or light and, you know, some humor behind it like that situation. But unfortunately, too often when I don't listen, and I respond to somebody, I've said something that's been hurtful or uh, has taken the conversation in a direction it shouldn't go in the conversation. So how many times have we called somebody and we knew exactly what we were going to say before the conversation began? We knew what topics we wanted to discuss, usually our favorites, and it didn't matter what they wanted to say to us. If you tend to dominate conversations, spending more time talking than listening, have you ever asked yourself why you do that? Seriously, is it because you like the sound of your voice? Whatever our reason, when we dominate conversations, what we're subconsciously communicating uh, to the other person is that I care more about my affairs, my subjects, my opinions. It's more about me than it is about you. We're being self-centered. And yet the Bible teaches us in Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4, that we should do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. So if we're truly looking out for the interests of others, it will mean that we're going to listen more than we speak. 
God's given us two ears and one mouth, probably for a good reason, right? We should listen twice as often as we speak. And how, much more time, how many more times we would not be in trouble if we practiced that. One of the best ways to master our mouth is to not use it at all. Dale Carnegie wrote a number of years a classic book that's called How to Win Friends and Influence People. And he gave several rules. Many of them are biblical because he was a Christian. But I wanted to share some of those insights that he shared in his book. And a few of them are become genuinely interested in other people. Make it more about them. Be a good listener. Encourage others to talk about themselves. Let the other person do a good deal of the talking. Talk in terms of the other person's interests. And so I find it interesting that this book, uh, written by a Christian, was marketed as a secular means of being successful as a business person, and yet it comes right out of God's Word. He's sharing wisdom about words and about treating others with respect. And so taming our tongue affects not only our relationships with our family and with our friends, but it also can help in our relationships at work or at school. And so to succeed in any relationship... We must master our mouth. And if you struggle uh, with talking more than listening, try this for practice. Try withholding your opinion in a conversation until somebody asks for your opinion. Now, if you like to talk, that's going to be really hard to do. But I would challenge you today and this week, if you're somebody who likes to talk a lot, withhold your opinion until somebody else asks for your opinion. See if you can accomplish it a few times in a conversation. So it'll help you learn how to listen to the other person. And while it's good to hold our tongue and to listen, obviously we need to talk some of the time. So what are we supposed to say when we open our mouth? What are we supposed to say? How are we supposed to use words to honor God and to bless others? And so there, I think there's lots of words of wisdom in the Proverbs, even specifically about what to say and how to say things. I think the first thing is words of the wise are encouraging words. They're encouraging Proverbs 12:25 says, an encouraging word cheers a person up. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul spoke about this in another way. In Ephesians 4:29, he said, let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. So again, notice what Paul says here. He says, let everything we say be good and helpful so that it encourages others. Some translations in that verse say to build others up or to edify them. Not just some of the time with some of my words. Not just on days that I'm having a good day or good things are happening. But all my words, all the time, should be an encouragement to those who I speak with. How often do our words encourage and build up those who are around us? So we're encouraged to speak words of encouragement. So just want to offer a suggestion. Maybe a few of you might not really have the gift of encouragement. You may not, you've maybe struggled. How do I speak in encouraging ways in conversations? So here's just a few, good, few, few ideas. You can say things like, it's good to see you, and tell the person why it's good that you see them that time or that day. Uh, you can say, I really appreciate it when you do this or when you did that, and then talk to them about the time that you saw them do something Or just say, way to go, you did a great job, and then reflect with them in a way that they did something really well. That would be an encouragement I would tell, especially to parents. If you have kids that uh, play sports, or they do music, or they do drama, or dance, or whatever, so often as parents, we want our kids to do better. And so we see something they didn't do quite right, and we're sometimes the first person that, that gives them constructive feedback. 
Let me tell you, they don't need to hear that from us as parents. They need our encouragement. So find something in the sport or the activity they did that they did well or they gave, gave a great effort toward and focus on that and reflect that to them and tell them how great they were or that you observed that and you're really proud of them. And that's going to build up their confidence and they're just going to appreciate it. So the, leave the constructive criticism to the coaches or the teachers to be able to work with your, your children on. So often uh, we can build our kids up when we give them words of encouragement. You know, Jesus encouraged his disciples in a little different way that maybe we're not used to doing in this world. But he, he taught them about the coming kingdom of God. He'd give them encouragement about what God was doing in their midst, about what they could look forward to. He was literally offering them the good news of God and God's kingdom. And we can encourage one another as Christians, as brothers and sisters in Christ, by talking about how God is at work in our lives and how we see God at work in their life and, and just reminding ourselves all of these great things that God is doing or has done for us. You know, just thinking about how awesome it is that God has given us his son and, and that we have forgiveness from sin and we've been, you know, we're free from the bondage of sin. We can be encouraged with each other uh, as we talk about and we know that, that literally God is preparing a heavenly place for us. And that we can encourage one another to share that we know that all things are possible with God because God is at work and God is present and God is faithful. So what would our homes look like? What would our church look like if we spoke words of encouragement at all times to one another? So words of encouragement, those are words of the wise. Also words of the wise are kind and gentle. They're kind and gentle. Look, Proverbs sixteen twenty three. God's word says, from a wise mind comes wise speech. The words of the wise are persuasive. Kind words are like honey, sweet to the soul and healthy for the body. And then in Proverbs 15, 1, it says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Someone once said, you get more bees with honey than you do with vinegar. Uh, If you want to be persuasive, don't be abrasive in a conversation. Kind words spoken with a genuine heart, are sweet to the soul. And they're healthy for the soul and for the physical body of both the person who's sharing them, but also for the person who's receiving those words. How many of us like it when people speak with kindness to us? We all do, right? We, we really appreciate that when we're treated with kindness. Kind, likewise, gentle words are pleasant because they calm us. They relax us. They disarm us. And sometimes they even diffuse uh, potentially explosive situations. There's a reason I, was, I put these two words together, kindness and gentleness. In the New Testament, we learn that kindness and gentleness are fruits of God's Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Or we might say they're a byproduct of God working in, in our lives for us, through, through us. And so if we have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, we're filled with the Holy Spirit And our lives should bear increasingly these fruits in our life. This includes the words of our mouth, too. We can ask ourselves, are my words filled with kindness and and are they spoken in love, in joy, in peace, in patience, in kindness, in goodness, in gentleness, in faithfulness, in self-control? If they are, then I'm demonstrating that fruit of the Spirit as God is transforming my life and your life. So if our words do not reflect God's truth, then there's something wrong within us. 
As Jesus said, again, out of the overflow of your heart, the mouth speaks. And so if our mouth is not speaking good words or encouraging words or kind words or gentle words, then we have a heart condition problem, right? So we may think we're just fine if we don't swear, we don't lie, we don't gossip, we don't, uh, we're not abusive with our words. But as Christians, it's more than not saying wrong things or bad things. It's also being productive and saying good things, things that are healing, things that are encouraging, things that build others up. So if our words uh, do not do those things, then we need God to change our hearts, literally. You know, to, to bear fruits of kindness and gentleness because God's going to hold us accountable for all the words that we've spoken here on earth. Did you know that? There's a verse that talks about how God is going to hold us accountable for everything that we have spoken here on earth. And I'm grateful because of that, that, that we have forgiveness. We can seek forgiveness through Christ because there's so many times I've failed to use the right kind of words in relationships. Our words will only become more gentle and kind as we get to know God in a deeper way and allow him to work in our heart. Only God can make us more gentle and kind. Perhaps some of you here this morning don't know God personally. You may have come to church a few times in your life. You may have read his scripture sometimes. And, you know, you may know about God, but you may not know God personally. And it may be a place where you've heard this message this morning and you think, you know, I really want to use better words. I really want to control my tongue and my mouth. I want what comes out of my mouth to be good and encouraging and helpful. And so I'm going to try harder. And I'd say, that's great, and that may go well for a while. But I would tell you, if you don't know God personally, if you haven't allowed God into your own life to be at work in your life, you won't be able to sustain using good words. You won't be able to sustain controlling your tongue. The good news is, is that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. And because he did that, that we can be free from our sins through Jesus Christ, through his son. And when we invite God into our lives personally through the gift of his son, by receiving the gift of his son, Jesus Christ, Literally, he begins to go at work in our lives in ways that we can't accomplish in our own effort, our own ability. So if that's where you're at today, I would simply encourage you and challenge you to invite Jesus to be the leader and the Lord of your life today moving forward. Make this the day that you make that decision. Now, for some of us here today, we've already, uh, we know God personally. We've asked Jesus into our lives to be that leader and that Lord. But as we're thinking about the message this morning, we may be thinking, you know what? My faith isn't exhibited by what my mouth says. There are things that still I say or I speak with my mouth that don't reflect the faith that I have in Christ. And I would say it's great because we can still ask Jesus for forgiveness and for him to cleanse us and to make us new in him again. But I would also say if you struggle with that, it's probably a sign that that you've not allowed God into the deepest part of your life. You may have asked Christ into your life, but maybe you're still holding him a little bit at arm's length, and it's time to make a decision to ask Jesus to control every aspect of your life, to give him fully your heart, your soul, and your mouth. And so this morning, as we close this morning, I'm just going to go to prayer, and I'm going to invite God to be at work in our lives in a deeper way in this area of our life, and to see what God can do in and through us as he works in our lives. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, God, we're grateful for these amazing words of wisdom that came through uh, the gift of the Holy Spirit, through Solomon. So many good things in there. And it's a great reminder, God, that, that our words really do make a difference, either for good or for bad. And they're very powerful. And we want those words to be encouraging and, and building up others and, and being uh, positive. And really that we want to be, as your children, uh, reflecting the things that you want us to say uh, with others. And so, God, I just want to take a moment right now and pray for those who, who maybe are going to make the decision today to invite Jesus to become the leader and the Lord of their life. And if that's you today, I just simply invite you to pray to Jesus in your own heart and ask him to become the leader of your life, to confess the sins that you've had in your life, the things that you've failed in, and to ask him for forgiveness of those things. And to make a decision today uh, in your heart to follow Jesus as his disciple from this day moving forward. And to give him your life. And to ask him not only to, to lead you in your life and transform your life, but transform your words that you use, the speech that you share with others. And there may be some here today, again, that you've made that commitment to follow Christ, but you recognize that your mouth doesn't reflect that faith decision. And so today I want to invite you, if that's your place, then, then ask Jesus to have control of every area of your life. Invite him into the, the depth of your life so that he has access to everything. And to make that decision to follow him and to commit to to obeying Him in every area that you can and give, allow Him access to not only uh, control your mouth, but to change your heart so that you can be more like Christ in every aspect of your life. Jesus, we're thankful that You uh, are not someone who pushes Your way into our life, but You come at the level of our invitation. And so, God, we invite You today to have access to our life, to our hearts, to our mouths, so that everything that we do and everything that we say would bring glory and honor to you. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.